0: What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying time's here. Come with me if you want to live.
1: That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over
0: boss will be with you, always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back
2: to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and I'm joined today by the uh, king of comics in motion, uh, the movie reviewer himself,
0: uh, Dave Horrocks. Dave, how are you doing? You okay, mate? I'm very good, Scott. Thank you, and thanks for having us on. I'm trying to think now, is this, I, I was going to say, is this my debut on 20th Century Geek, but we did the Star Wars crossover, didn't we?
2: Yeah, you, yeah, we, when we did the big crossover thing, have you not done yeah. um, have you not done Desert Island comics yet?
0: I did that as well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, so, you, so you had yeah, X Men,
2: X Big Men big issue, didn't you? As well, yeah, big issue, that's right, you know I mean? that's right.
0: So, my yeah. memory is just shit with yeah. which uh, comes with getting old, obviously. So, it's actually concluding a trilogy, isn't it? Mm.
2: <laughs> you're now doing the yeah, now you're doing a retrospective, yeah, yeah. And we are doing retrospective, doing the, uh, uh, you know. This is one that uh, I put out there. Um, people voted on. There was, um, I put it, it was quite disparate, to be perfectly honest, the choices. I put uh, the Shaft trilogy, which you probably would have gone included Samuel Jackson, but um, uh, uh, Reanimator and Mad Max. And it became a bit of a sort of a head to head between Mad Max and Reanimator. But Reanimator won out. And uh, to make it even, we're going to cover four films. Uh, there's, there's three in the trilogy. Uh, and then there's From Beyond. So uh, there's Reanimator, Bride of Reanimator, um, Beyond Reanimator, and then From Beyond. Now, I'm g- we're going to include Beyond From Beyond because it's, it's included as a Lovecraft story. And it was also directed by uh, Stuart Gordon and stars Jeffrey Coombs. So it seems like it's sort of like an, a, an adjunct kind of sort of uh, film to do. Uh, so but before, before we start, before we get into films, on this episode, we're going to cover Reanimator and Bride of Reanimator. Just sort of split it up. But before we get into all that, we talked about this briefly um, off, uh, on, on, on the Discord. What's your sort of history then with, with the Reanimator franchise? Do you have a history with the Reanimator franchise or is this sort of like new territory for you?
0: So the first one, I do remember. Mm. Now, I don't know if you had this down your way, but I remember we used to have a guy who's a bit like the pop man who used to come around with pop on yeah, his yeah, fan yeah. and I'd send, sell you that soda. If you're listening from America and this guy, I mean, in my memory, in my mind, he's basically Arthur Daly got the old, <laughs> you know, brown long coat kind of thing, old guy with a bunch of videos in his boot, And I remember, you know, I'd go out with my dad and see if we could pick out a video and this guy had the most shit. Like (laughs) anything, there was nothing there that you would see in a video shop. I just remember, like, I'd never recognized anything, but I'm sure we got it from this guy and that first reanimator. Now, this Mm. must have been 87, 88, or something like that. So, you know, after it had come out. Mm. Now, when I think, think of it now, I think, well, actually, that's he must've just got the really shit movies or the B movies, if you like, not the, there was no back to the futures there. There was nothing like that. No Terminator even. And so I just remember uh, my dad getting out. Now I was too young to watch it at the time. But um of course being a Generation X kid, that meant I was left alone at home a lot of the time. So mm. no, you just <laughs> search Don't out videos. Here, yeah, think? exactly. You yeah. just pop it on. Now I've never been a massive horror fan. Mm. Um and and again, you know, being of that generation, you kind of you watch a lot of horror that you're not supposed to. Yeah, Friday yeah. the thirteenth scared the living crap out of me. Things like Hellraiser, watched it when it first came out on video, and it's like Barking out, you know, (laughs) it is a big leap, and so you know, I never fancied the horror from there. But this felt like more of a gateway drug. Mm. It felt like something I could handle. I just remember the gore of it, and I remember um, the main guy, um, Jeffrey Coombs obviously playing Herbert West, very distinctive looking bloke. And I remember watching it, let's say, a few times, you know, maybe three, four times or something like that. Again, when you're a kid, you've got so much free time, haven't you? You can watch movies yeah. over and over. Um, but coming into this, I remembered practically nothing mm. about about the story, you know, beyond kind of just what the, the basic concept mm. was. So, yeah, I'd seen that first one, but none of the sequels at all. So was, I was kind of... In particular, for the memory of that first one, that's why I stuck my hand up first. I was like, yeah, I I quite fancy going (laughs) back. And it's definitely one of those that I've not revisited, you know, not gone back and thought, oh, yeah, yeah. I'll I'll watch that again. So I was intrigued to see how it'd stand up. And like I say, I had the the beautiful kind of coming together of the nostalgia of it and still being surprised with Mm, the story. Not
2: knowing the full thing
0: exactly yeah so it's a rare thing that isn't it where... mm. yeah there's it only a few things
2: like. where it's it's um it often comes like you know you remember a cover you know you say yeah. that, uh, you say about the man in the boot, like we had a fact there was a guy with a van like he was he had like a, a proper little sort of like dinky van and he opened up the back and there was like a dvd so or also vhs selection in the back of that and he had a, a locked bit you know like you'd have the, the in the in the video story it'd be the beaded curtain
0: Behind the, yeah. <laughs> he,
2: he had like a suitcase, a locked suitcase in the corner of the van, which was his, <laughs> the equivalent of his beaded curtain. Um, but yeah, no, you, yeah, like there's, there's always those films that sort of, I rem- there are films I remember more for having seen the case or the artwork and stuff, or even just its, its reputation rather than seeing the film. Um, and this was one of those films for me where I was like, I've, I've heard of this film so often. And I did watch it, I think. But I watched it, I think, sort of in the '90s. It's one of those ones I remember catching on TV, but you sort of like caught glimpses of it, Uh, and it wasn't until a bit later that I sort of really watched it. Um, But it's it's an interesting film as well because it's sort of you said about the sort of the '80s, like the horror 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 was a big genre in the '80s, like you know, Um, apart from the icons, like it was the slasher genre, but also it's sort of like the splatter. Decade as well, mm. so like you got all that sort of like splatter gore stuff, and this is like prime right in the middle of that, like 1985. <clears throat> we're getting into that sort of splatter, you know, gore horror, um, and directed by Brian, uh, sorry, but Stuart Gordon, and produced by Brian Usner um, and Bride obviously directed by Brian Yuzna, but Brian Yuzna was like, at the, and Stuart Gordon at the forefront of that, like they were sort of like, how much blood and stuff can we just get on the screen? Um, I think Brian Yuzna also did. There's a film called
0: Society, which is another one. Mm, saw that one as well. Yeah. Yeah.
2: again. I saw the cover. and I was like, I've got to see that that film. Um, and so, yeah, this is one of the, like I say, going back, and I've I've got these. these Not heavy rotation, but I do like this trilogy. I think it's sort of like one of the the weirder ones. Um, so it just stand out, and the films are you know they stand up. I, th- I think they stand up pretty well. We'll get into that. But one of the things also to note about this, from my perspective as well, is uh, I've always been a fan of H.P. Lovecraft. And so this sort of, you know, is, is a Lovecraft story. Um, and in many cases, this is probably from his writing. The only one where he sort of tries to do a uh, comedy is probably too strong a word, but there's like a bit of satire in the story. Um, mm. And it's the story is, it was serialized. Is based like a series of sketches, and the first two films are basically sort of like a collection of those sketches that he's written about and just put together. Um, so yeah, it's, it's quite interesting to sort of see this sort of like uh, purple prose, sort of zombie horror from from H.P. Lovecraft turned into this splatter gore film, sort of horror comedy from the '80s, which is quite cool. So yeah, th- they are interesting films in that sort of uh, respect. Uh, but let's jump in. Let's go. Let's go to to start with Reanimator. So 1985, as I said, directed by Stuart Gordon, uh, starring Jeffrey Coombs as um, Herbert West, Jeffrey, uh, sorry, Bruce Abbott as Dan, uh, Barbara Crampton as Megan, and uh, Robert, uh, sorry, Robert uh, Sampson as Dean Halsey. And we've also got David Gale as Dr. Hill. So it's quite a relatively sort of small cast in that sort of respect. Uh, but basically, sort of just a quick story. So uh, Herbert West, medical student, working in uh, Europe at the start of the film, uh, him and another doctor are studying uh, the effects of death and how death can be uh, prevented, but also can you how to reanimate dead tissue? And he has this sort of uh, fluorescent fluid, this sol- solution that does the job. After <clears throat> after an incident in I can't remember, it's like Germany or or.
0: It was Zurich, Switzerland. Zurich,
2: that's what Switzerland, yes. He moves back to um, work at the Miskatonic University in Arkham uh, and meets uh, another medical student, Dan, and Herbert West, being the arrogant sod that he is, starts to sort of call out their doctor, Dr Hill, and his sort of theories, and eventually Dan and Herbert sort of come together to start experimenting on reanimating um, dead tissue. Uh, this starts with a cat and escalates to humans and eventually sort of a whole morgue full of people, including a, um, an animated head uh, Dr. Hill we will get to, who returns in the best possible fashion in the second one. Um, so let's talk about this. Then. So just as you said sort of like Jeffrey Coombs as a sort of as a, as the star of this. What what are your thoughts in, on Jeffrey Coombs on this? Does he sort of strike you in any way? You know, um, does he stand out as a sort of a
0: hundred percent, hundred percent? I think the performance. I, I mean, it the the whole movie. And so and I think the tone of the first and the second movies is is a little bit different. I, mm-hmm. I think everything gets ramped up to eleven in in the second one, but I think in both of them. he's basically a Batman villain. Yes. He is a Batman mad scientist who is the absolute definition of having a God complex. You know, he thinks he can do everything better. And just the hammy way that he delivers some of these lines, he does make things funny that aren't, if you just read them on on a page on the scripts, they're not really funny, but there's something about that kind of Batman villain way he delivers it it just it makes him very endearing, whereas, you know, he's, he's kind of an endearing villain, really. Yeah. He's just not as bad a villain as, uh, you know, Dr. Um, Dr. Hill later on. So, mm. no, I think he was undoubtedly the star of the show. And I, I again, I couldn't really remember how we got to the point where he was the reanimator but straight away when this film starts, it, it, no one can accuse it of luring you in, you know, <laughs> you know what this is going to be right from the off. Cause you've got what I like to think of as, as Dr. Hans Gruber senior, mm. um, <laughs> you know, as, as a uh, connected universe to die hard, you know, you've got some really gory makeup screaming away, you know, in, in agony and, um, you've got, um, herbert west there who's saying you know oh, i've given too high a dosage or whatever and getting dragged off and then but then just suddenly you know for no reason he's in the u.s and no charges are pressed <laughs> or anything so um yeah but coming back to him no i thought he was absolutely brilliant and undoubted star of the show and to me everyone else is just a supporting cast to him
2: yeah, and that's a really good point because he is. Like, it's it's it is, the film's called like Herbert West Reanimator, <clears throat> and it doesn't work without him. But I I do like J- Jeffrey Coombs sort Of he's one of those actors I find that um, what's the what's, what's the phrase? In the, like you know, he knew the assignment. Mm. Yeah, you know, yeah. He, he read this script. He obviously met with Stuart Gordon, and they were like, "This is your character. Like you know, you know, don't try and play this um, subtle." Like, there is no subtlety to be had here. Like, do whatever you want. Like, you know, where you think you want to go big, go big or do whatever. Um, and I, I love it because he he's so expressive. He's so sort of, um, like you said, some of the delivery of the lines is like, you know, he's clearly sort of like gone a completely different way to how he, he sort of reminds me a little bit, of like, say, of like Matt Berry. Where, like he'll deliver a line, you like, <laughs> yeah. I, I never thought anyone would de- deliver it that way. Um, but he does, he has real sort of screen presence because he's not like a big thing. Is he's not like a big guy, like you know, uh, his sort of partner in crime in this, uh, Dan, uh, Kane played by, played by uh, uh, Bruce Abbott, is a bigger guy, like he's a sort of like he's almost like typical, um be hollywood actor isn't he sort of like you know he's He's relatively good looking he's he's, you know he's he's pretty athletic he's the sort of like the good looking one of the two and so he's intentionally sort of plain. he's the normal one but like you say herbert west is definitely a mad professor like he's a mad scientist um and i just love how unapologetic he is about the whole thing um and it gets like you said, it ramps up in in the second one, and we'll get to that because there's some scenes in that. But he, even like his, um, as you get to know him, like the lying and you know, because <laughs> the cat that's in the in the um, basically in Dan's the fridge, cat in the, in the beer fridge, fridge. <laughs> yeah, and it's like he's like oh, it, it got his head caught in a jar and it suffocated, <laughs> yeah. and like it's the it's the kind of lie that like a three year old would give. <laughs> But it's—I like the fact that he is so sort of like you know invested in it. When he's sort of challenged on it, he's like completely indignant the fact that he's been challenged on this this nonsense lie.
0: Um, And Dan just swallows it whole, doesn't he? (laughs) Dan's like. What happened? Yeah. Meg's like, you know, always the voice of reason, isn't she, Megan? Yes. And she's like pointing out the obvious, like, what are you doing with this creep? <laughs> he's he's clearly a madman. It's like, Dan, nah, he's all right. You know, <laughs> if they'd have only listened to Megan, none of this would have happened. Yeah. yeah.
2: She, I like the fact that I say that like, with Meg as a character, like you say, she's the voice of reason. And Barbara Crampton, again, another one sort of like, you know, she, she's appeared in, a number of like you know she's like a scream queen number of horror films but she plays that sort of like naive um you know college student co-ed kind of thing and she's brilliant at it but she's got like a um purity is probably too strong a word but she's got that sort of like girl next door
0: yeah. kind of look all american girl yeah character. exactly
2: yeah uh, and so you know she's not she's not portrayed as stupid like she's clearly not stupid but uh, you know but it's interesting that, like, yeah, she's just completely little, sort of like ignored <laughs> throughout, because <laughs> she's constantly like, "Now this guy's a lunatic and needs to be stopped," and everyone's like, "Well, all right, no, no, um, you know, he's just he's just a bit odd or he's a bit eccentric." Um,
0: <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever watch the Fast Show at all? Yes. Yeah. So, so there was a, a lady character on that who would always point out the obvious. Um, and one sketch in particular, I remember some guys have locked their keys in the car. Mm. And they're all talking around, discussing what, what can we do? And she walks up and she's like, well, I, I've seen this before. You know, you, you get half, you know, you cut a tennis ball in half and then you slam it on, onto the lock and then the pressure will unlock the door. And everyone just ignores her. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then a couple of seconds later, someone else suggests is, suggests, like, I know what we should do. We should get a tennis ball, cut it in half, you know, and just repeats what she said. Yeah. And everyone's <laughs> like, that's a that's great, great idea. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
2: It, it, it is. It's totally that. That's exactly like she's she's there. It almost it almost satirizes the sort of like the the dumb blonde. Because she's there and she is the one saying, like, you know, this is. This is clearly wrong. He's clearly done something, and no one's listening to us. So throughout the film, you are just like, if anything, it, also, it badges her for death. Really, is the only thing. Sort of like, I, even the first time i watching this and thinking like, either Herbert West is going to kill you, or you're getting killed <clears throat> in the process of this because mm. it's all going to go. It's all going to go wrong. You're too good um, for, the, for this film or for this story.
0: I think her job was though to walk in. At the point just after something's been reanimated, yeah. that, that's her job throughout this movie, isn't it? Mo- mostly,
2: <laughs> yeah. For the most, yeah, For the second half, that's clearly like you know, every time something goes wrong, I, I do want to say what you say about walking in. One of the other things you and you said about this being a Batman villain as well, uh, thing like that laboratory they have, like they they choose a house to live in and they have like a basement and it's got a massive <laughs> steel door. And it's you know, and then they have got this laboratory thing going on in the basement. Um, it's 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 so sort of it, it's all it's so sort of uh, typical, so sort of like you know, rote almost that it's it's not. It's almost like a you know, you can tell it's almost joking, yeah, um, about it. Um, that he is so sort of um, you know, mad scientist. Um. You're almost expecting him to be like, "It's alive!" Do, <laughs> yeah. that big. He never quite goes there, but um, yeah, he, he is. He's fantastic. But one of the things, like you said as well, he's, he's not. Although he is, is he? Is he's, he's not? He's not the hero. Uh, you know, so he's whether he's an anti-hero because he's clearly the protagonist. Like it's, it's, we, we sort of, Dan is the access character. He, he's mm. who we're sort of accessing this world through, um, and following along. But like, as you said, sort of um, the. It's hard to say because like between Doctor Hill and Herbert West, like they they are basically as bad as each other. Um, it's just that we seem to like Herbert West more.
0: I would say. I think the the reason I say he's kind of a villain. I'm. I'm not even saying, I mean, by the end, he he's kind of half redeemable but he's he's like killing people's pets and stuff you know so it's like well you can't really redeem that guy and plus he's this is almost like a cautionary tale isn't it and and i'm sure there's there's been hundreds of thousands of stories written about you know the dangers of science and just letting scientists do whatever they want without any checks and balances in place um but he's just so arrogant isn't he you know even when he comes into the university and you know you've got uh dr hill and he's showing he's he's developed this this laser for brain surgery and whatever and he's just saying oh it's highly derivative of uh dr gruber's work and you know it's like you're filling these uh students heads with nonsense kind of thing it's like God, you are a bit of an insufferable prat, aren't you?
2: Oh yeah, he's an absolute tool, isn't he? Really, like yeah, yeah. Um, he is that kind of guy that you you wouldn't want to meet him at a party. Or, oh well, god, I don't no. think they'd ever ever go. But like, he will happily tell you, like you know, how great he
0: is. Can you imagine being stuck like at a house party or something in the corner and cornered by him, and he's chewing your ear off about yeah. <laughs> like Re- the reanimating dead tissue?
2: <laughs> you just like, oh, that's, that's fascinating. It's fascinating. Um, yeah, I've got to go. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> um, I've left. I've left the oven on. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting say you say about that sort of like because he is. He does kill. It's not. It's not just that when he because he does kill. He's obviously killed Dan's cat for the first bit. And I want to talk about that scene when he reanimates it in a minute. Um, but also, look—he's like, he, opportunistic. Like he—he's clearly like very goal-oriented. Like, he just mm. wants to do this one thing. And um, one of the key things that is like you know when um, um, Meg's father dies, uh, Dean Halsey, because when they do the reanimation in thing, like he's killed, and straight away he's like, ah, fresh. A yeah. fresh corpse, like he's <laughs> straight on it, like you know, and happens to have a syringe with his reanimation solution in his pocket, and he's just like, "No, I'm them off." <laughs> um. So the, yeah, he is. He's just he's, he's 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 less. He's not particularly evil, is he? Because he thinks he's doing a good thing as well.
0: Most villains do. Oh yeah, I, I absolutely think in the '80s he is the hero, or or he's one of the heroes. Mm-hmm. like you say, Dan is the access character, but. I am watching this in two thousand twenty-two now, and I am thinking, well, actually, you kind of caused all these problems here. <laughs> oh
2: yeah, yeah. There is a reason that by three he's in prison. You know, like, there's a, like yeah, it, it, you, like, he does cause he causes all of this. <laughs> um, but let's like say, but Doctor Hills that slightly the, the you know let's like say, but Herbert West is the slightly lesser of two evils. Um, and in her in, in Doctor Hill, we have someone who is just as arrogant. Uh, as a teacher, but also when he actually witnesses and he figures out the sort of the reanimation, he sees fame and fortune. Mm. Whilst Herbert West never really talks about fame and fortune. He is actually more about just the achieving of science.
0: It's, it's the science, isn't it?
2: Yeah. Which, you know, he feels like at the end, uh, the ends justify the means. And well, Doctor Hill is a bit more putthroat in it.
0: He's also a massive seedy fucker as well.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I want to talk. You say about this. One of the things I want to ask about later on is how problematic do we find some of this film? Because um, there's some scenes, especially tw- that, you know when he's headless later on, and I'm just like, oh my god! Like the, the answer
0: is very yeah. problematic. <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: Yeah, because like I say, he clearly has you know affections for Meg. Um and sort of you know isn't shy about showing it because he, he keeps on to sort of put her off down and says, Oh, you know, why don't you study at home tonight so we you know we can sort of continue our conversations and these other sleazy comments.
0: Oh god, when he's talking to the dean, like her <laughs> dad. And he's, uh, she comes in and it's like serving them dinner for some reason. And he's like, why haven't you grown? And, oh, you are beautiful. And it's like, fucking hell. And I don't know, I was watching this on, um, on YouTube. And mm. so I'm not sure if this was the unrated or the R-rated version. I know there's a couple out there. But the way the camera sort of sat on him, and let's face it, he's like a Poundland Christopher Lee, isn't he?
2: Yes, I was going to say, it's a great comparison. <laughs> it's a fantastic comparison, yeah. So uh,
0: the the way the camera had him and the lighting and everything seemed to imply to me he was hypnotising the beam.
2: It's, it's funny, isn't yeah, it? Because, it, yeah, it plays up certain aspects of Dr. Hill that never seem to pan out. Like you said, like he he, it's almost like they light him and I think they... I I see what you're saying, because obviously it does focus in on like that you almost get like that bar, don't you? Sort of like mm. the lit
0: bar across his eyes. Like when, when Dracula used to like yes. hypnotize someone.
2: Yeah. I think I think they're sort of just trying to use it to show that he is a sleazy fucker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really, for all I, I couldn't
0: most. remember if you swore on this podcast. Sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fuck it.
2: Um <laughs> so yeah, no, um, he is clear like, yeah, he is like you say, that's that's sleazy, and it, it that pays off later. Um, but yeah, and then and, 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 like, he's clearly willing to take advantage because obviously, when so we'll get to the morgue scene as well, because they do try and reanimate a corpse and it goes wrong, and this giant, this massive bloke sort of uh, is reanimated and just goes berserk and starts sort of attacking. And Dean Halsey comes in, first, he's crushed by a door. And then,
0: brilliant,
2: yeah, and and then sort of like you know he's killed. Um, But funny, funny enough, when I was watching this, um, and sort of you know Ellie my daughter gone to bed, and Alex was just doing some stuff in the house. I was like, okay, I'm gonna put this on, and she walked in, and you know she never really Alex isn't big on these films, doesn't really watch them. Just walked in on this scene where the guy gets crushed by the door and stuff, and she's like, what are you watching? Like, what is this? And it's not a film that's easy to explain. <laughs> so I was like, no. Uh, it's, just a, it's just a horror film. Don't worry about it.
0: It's like outtakes from the Hulk. <laughs> yeah. He did look like a bit like Lou Ferrigno, didn't he? The size of him. They picked the biggest. I know he might have been the freshest, but, you know, could have picked a little granny to try it out on or something.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's one, it's, it's one of those things that they never seem to learn. Like they constantly seem to pick the, the wrong thing to animate. Um, but, you know, it's, it's one of those things where the special effects, I want to talk about the effects in this, because the gore effect, because there are quite a few there's makeup effects made up because this is Mm -hmm. uh, pre-CGI, as we often comment on for this period. So it's all sort of like makeup effects and just buckets and buckets of blood and stuff. Um, And so you do get sort of, but it's it's almost like a, um, it's a double-edged sword, this. Because you do later on get some, you know, the uh, I want to get to, well, there's more people talking about. Later on, you get a severed head that talks, and I think, some of that is really well done, but the first thing we really get to see, skipping back to the beginning, is one that when the cat has died, and um, it is reanimated. You talk about Meg walking in. The first thing that Dander is walk in, and Herbert West is being attacked by the reanimated cat. <laughs> Clearly, it's not a real cat; it's just <laughs> a toy. But that scene where he's sort of like rolling around. The basement being something. Of, what what are your thoughts on that? Because that's a, a bit of a doozy. I,
0: well, I think one of the thoughts is Dan is incredibly impressionable. <laughs> you know, because he, yeah. he he doesn't put up much resistance at all, does he? I mean, no. uh, you know, Herbert just spins him a line, and he's like, "Oh right, I didn't see it like that before." And then you know, goes with it. <laughs> yeah. I I thought the the actual sound crack me up you know the sound of the cat because it was clearly just yeah exactly it doesn't sound too dissimilar it's clearly just an actor you know putting yeah, on obviously. this cat noise and um what what it made me think because i i haven't read much lovecraft i've heard you mm. talk about it on the podcast a lot um but i just thought well did stephen king just completely rip lovecraft for pet cemetery
2: uh, uh... Not just Pet Cemetery.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No, there's,
2: there's a lot of you, the more you read, the more you go, all right. Yeah. Now that's where sort of like, yeah. So there's definitely like Stephen King and he admits, similar like Clive Barker. Like you yeah, read them you go, yeah. okay. Like I see where you've got that from.
0: Yeah. Um, so. But I, I think the, I mean, uh, again, it's it's quite a scary scene because they've got the light kind mm. of swinging around haven't they which is, gives it a really nice kind of scary effect and you're not sure because bits of the room are dark yeah yeah um but when you know <laughs> what confused me again dan he, he makes some strange choices <laughs> yeah. so he kind of thinks oh maybe the cat's not dead you know it was in the fridge it was just maybe it's heart it's vitals had mm. it all slowed down or whatever what so a terrible decides- medical student he is <laughs> He is awful, (laughs) because he also decides to try and catch the cat by swinging (laughs) after it with a baseball bat. And I'm like, what was your plan exactly there? (laughs) And when he does eventually, you know, throw it against the wall and great effect, because you Mm -hmm. see the cat splatter against the wall and you get a bit of matter left on the floor. And then they go through this dialogue about, you know, it brought the cat back to life. Dan's mm. trying to rationalize it. And then you get that moment, don't you, when Herbert's like, so you believe he's dead now kind of thing. And then yeah. reanimates it then. And I thought the effects for that were brilliant. Now, not in a that looks real kind of way, mm. but you can tell it's not real, but so... Gory and and the noise coming out of the cat as well. You know, you're thinking, well, do these reanimated corpses feel pain? Because that looks pretty painful, you know. And the noise coupled with the sound and it it's kind of shaking as it's Mm. you know screaming kind of thing. It's like really haunting. I thought that was really well done, and that that was one of the scenes that really stuck with me for a few days after.
2: No, I agree that that is it's a really good point because it sets some stuff later on where you do start to question things where, you, like you say, you see that cat and like you said, the reaction to it being animated a second time. And it is that thing of like, um, yeah, this clearly isn't a humane thing to be doing. This yeah. cat's clearly not, you know, having some sort of sensory overload or whatever with its, um, you know, now it's been animated, Its nervous system is, is obviously reacting to it. And so, you, you know, that going in, it's sort of like, you know, they tell you that. So when you do see things like, um in particular, sort of like Dean Halsey when he's killed and then reanimated, and he's got obviously goes, you know, I don't think goes insane. Like he's clearly like damaged. It mm. is, it's quite tragic. And you're just like, yeah, no, like he's clearly in there in some capacity. And he's trapped in there. Like, you know, they keep mm-hmm. him alive in that in that padded room.
1: Um,
2: it's it does, it makes you sort of like, although it's sort of like it's played for comedy, there are moments like when um uh, Meg, and Meg is talking with Dr. Hill, and you've, you know, he's just sort of had Dean Hulls is in that room, and then he's just sort of like headbutting the glass. Yeah. And you're just sort of like, yeah, this is still like a, a horror comedy, but like this is where the horror sort of comes through. Like you do sort of feel it. And you're like, yeah, this
1: is
0: really quite twisted. Like, oh, absolutely. I, I, and even before that, because when he does reanimate the Dean mm. and he's attacking the two guys but then meg shows up and he starts cowering in the corner doesn't he so yes he you know, there to his is, daughter yeah, yeah, yeah exactly there is that bit of love in him and and he's kind of he's ashamed he kind of mm. knows what he's become and, and is ashamed of it so again i I, I thought that was quite I don't know, quite know what the right word is moving it, it it is a bit emotional really you know because one of the reasons I think I, I never I'm never a particularly good watcher of horror. Is I just empathise too much, yeah. you know? For a character like that, I'm thinking, oh crikey, can you imagine being in that position, <laughs> you know? And I, I, it was quite horrible that bit. I thought
2: it's interesting because one of the things um, that, that sort of, especially in these horrors, especially in this first one, it's less so in the in the in the follow-ups because they sort of lean into the sort of the comedy part a bit more. But we've often. I think you and I may have spoken about this, but I've spoken about it with other people. There are films that sort of like have that action comedy or whatever sort of like balance. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: And they often sort of like, in my opinion, sort of like undercut a dramatic or action scene by then adding a joke. And I I often feel that with like Thor Ragnarok is probably one of my greatest examples. Like great film, but it often undercuts moments of dramatic tension by then adding in a joke. Mm. Um, And I feel like this almost does the opposite. Like, it gives you, like, you know, so it rams up to 10 or 11 with some, like, you know, some splatter craziness, but then completely undercuts it by introducing some, like, an emotional gut punch where you are like, oh, man, the reanimated corpse going crazy. It's her father, and he still recognises her as such and so reacts to her presence. And you're sort of like, yeah, yeah Jesus, that's not, uh, that's not great. Then mm-hmm. <laughs> like you say, so you get that empathy um, throughout. So you're right, and I, I love the fact that it does that because it could just rely on gore 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 and it's there like throughout but it does often have those moments of empathy or you know where you are made more to be sympathetic with a character so and it does really well at that and I think the cast are good at doing that as well
0: yeah And, and I think the the trap that a lot of sequels fall into for me is that the second one always takes the feedback from the first one Mm. So it's like you've got, uh, you know, a marketing group and they're, they're yeah. asking people, oh, what, what are the five things you like about this movie? And then the sequel becomes about those five, five things. things. Yeah. So the, the different layers and the different tones and notes that the first one hits are just Get omitted lost. from the second mm. one. Lethal Weapon is, is one that I went back to where, you know, the second one is a great comedy action movie, but, it's not got nearly the the emotional it, weight impact. of the first one. No, yeah, yeah
2: I agree. And but the time you get to the fourth one, it's
0: very. You know, it, it's almost like a parody of itself, isn't it? Yeah. So, and a lot of sequels do that, and and we'll get <laughs> on to Bride a, yeah. a little bit later.
2: Great, the greatest example that like, to me is always the Die Hard franchise. Just to say that, so you yeah. start with Die Hard, where like you know a bit of broken glass almost finishes yeah. John mcclain in the first film, <laughs> and then by the fifth one, like he's flying helicopters through buildings and and all kinds of stuff. And you're like, yeah, same franchise this. <laughs>
0: exactly with, with Hans Gruber jr of course yes yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hans Gruber the second um so yeah well, we, we, you do get those under those those consequences so you and you do like say you sympathize with Meg and you she becomes again like another sort of active character like she's determined to find out what happened to her father um,
1: mm-hmm. and
2: so she's been given some agency so again like she's she, she is just that thing of walking in but she has got her own agency like she is trying to investigate and so she is a threat to Herbert West Um, And I think one of the things, one of the reasons I sort of understand that she's going, she's not so much for the chopping block, but she is in, in you know, in possible danger of being killed is you see at one point when Herbert's work is threatened, Mm
1: -hmm. so
2: when Doctor Hill basically sort of says, "Well, I know what you've done now," and so I'm going to be taking this solution, and you know, I know how you've done it, and I'm going to become witch famous. Like his instant response, like he grabs the shovel, knocks him out. And then decapitates him with that shovel.
0: Um, it's not a normal response, is it? You know? <laughs> it's,
2: it keeps him like going up to 11. It's one of those things, like you know, I, um, one of the things I've learned myself is to they say you should respond, not react. You know, you sort of take that moment <laughs> to take a breath and respond. And this is one of those cases of pure reaction <laughs> where he just grabs it and belts him. Um, but again, you talk about sort of the effects Um. And the humour as well. This is one of those moments of, like, dark humour. This has got... Because the film yeah. is loaded with humour. He takes the head, and it looks great. Uh, and he's sort of sat, and he's, he's got, like a, a, like, a... I don't know, like a Petri dish, but it's like a, it's like a medical tray, isn't it? He puts them in a yeah. steel medical tray. And it just keeps falling over.
0: I so, thought that was great.
2: So he, gets, <laughs> he gets the note spike, <laughs> takes the notes off, puts it in, and then just lumps it on top of that. Yeah. And it stands there. And I, I was like, yeah, that's a great moment of... Um, Just subtle but very dark humour, and obviously he then brings back just the head, proving that you, which we'll get into in the second film, sort of like is lent into more is this idea that, and it's proved in this this film consciousness doesn't just exist in the brain. Yeah, every part uh, he can reanimate body parts, so the head comes back, as does the body. So Put some into the heart and some into the head, and then they start to act as a team. And but like you say, you get the moment where um he talks with the head, and it's all done what well. it's clear how it's done, isn't it? That like there's a hole for the table, and it's all done. But well, what do you think? Like that thing when the head starts talking, is that sort of like you know, because other people have said that's the sort of the jump in the shark, like this thing of you know.
0: Um, so for me, I kind of it makes me feel nostalgia for mm. those old school effects yeah, where yeah. you can literally see this is how they've done it. You know, they've got, cut a hole in the table, stuck his head through, put a bit of, you know, latex and, yeah. and blood around him, and that's how they've done it. Because it, it's so different, obviously, when he's just got, and even the weight of the head, you can tell it's it's not very heavy. Yeah. He sticks it on the, on the note spike thing. But I just thought it, it was great. And just before I forget that one of the other things that I think is good about the writing for this is they've they've already put work into setting the characters up. Mm. So the whole even though that interaction at the, at the lecture where you've got Herbert and he's snapping his pencils and what have you and he's having a go at um, Dr. Hill for basically being a plagiarist Yes. so it's set him up it's saying this guy will steal other people's work. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, when he's threatening to steal Herbert's work, he he has to take him seriously. So I thought it's pretty, pretty good the way they set that up. And then there's a payoff. But also, even with Dan as well, I I joke, I mean, he goes along with Herbert way too easy. (laughs) But when we first meet Dan, he's desperately trying to save that woman. He, He doesn't want to accept you know when when he loses patience, so he he's kind of set up to be impressionable. You mm. know for uh, for Herbert to come along later.
2: Yeah, well, especially the idea of reanimation. This idea that you know death isn't the end anymore. Like it's, yep. it's 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 perfect for Dan. Um, you you almost want a bit more of that. Then, like, why is he like that? Like, has he lost a parent, uh, young or something like that? Like, you know. Um, but yeah, no,
0: I, I do agree. I like Could that, be a prequel of. one day.
2: Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um in the in the in the book, in the in the the story, it's just it's it's written in the first person. So it's the story is told by the character that would be Dan. Like he's not named in the book, like the story doesn't name him, he's oh, just the narrator. Okay. But he is sort of like he refers to himself as sort of um um Herbert West's enthralled assistant. So like he acknowledges right. that he was sort of in this sort of personality sort of um, you know. That he couldn't escape from, uh, an impressionable because the the book, um, the, the the novel covers I think ten years, mm. so it's not a short term Like you know, the, the, they basically do something and have to move somewhere else, or you know, and, right. Uh, and it culminates in, uh, well, it culminates basically in the end of of partly in the end of Bride of Reanimator more so than than this film. Mm. Um, but yeah, like I say, he reanimates the the, the head and the body comes and they knock him out and then you get a great scene of um, which is, by the way, some of this is straight from Lovecraft. So the, the moment when the, um, the head and the body then go to the uh, morgue uh, and the head is in the bag and he's using a uh, anatomical medical d- dummy head <laughs> uh, and a trench coat and stuff. That's sort of from the, from the novel from oh, the really? book. in the book, there's a character that is called Hill, but he's a, he's a, a soldier a medical uh medic soldier and he's killed after being um um beheaded and he uses a wax bust in place of a head and it's sort of that's sort of described and it often refers to how he sort of you know this angelic face and the lips didn't move but a voice that seemed to come from the box he was carrying (laughs) and so i love that, that that sort of comes up again
0: but he goes, Worst security guard ever though, isn't yeah, he? That guy he is.
2: He is. <laughs> I still kind of love him though. I do. I think he's oh he's great.
0: great. He is great, but Christ, I wouldn't want him guarding my stuff.
2: <laughs> I, I, I love his I love his approach. Like he clearly took this job because it's the easiest job possible. Because he's yeah. like he's like no one's getting out and no one really wants to get in. So yeah, there's no real need to be here. Um but what he's doing is obviously he's he's actually also um he he's kidnapped Meg or you say he ends up taking Meg and so you have this bit at the end where so he he gets her onto um the gurney in the morgue um I'm never entirely sure what he's intending to sort of do with her but like um i get I get I get
0: <laughs> big parts like of what, what what the end plan is yeah like so, why yeah. here <laughs>
2: Um, so he anyway, sort of like he, he obviously has her and he's obviously starting to reanimate the other corpses as well. We well, we find that he's reanimated the corpse in the room, but he strips Meg naked. And again, this is clearly like one of those 80s films where they're just sort of like, huh, we're getting to the climax, boobs. Um, and so she's laying there and so, and then <laughs> this is where it becomes problematic because let's be fair, this is tantamount to but well, it is it's sexual assault basically. Um, and it, it it's it's one of those things again, those films from where you see, sort of, you know, you have these sort of sex scenes or whatever in films. You're like, you know, I often think like how embarrassing that must be for the actors to do that kind of thing. Yeah, you, know, you got like, it's not just them. It's, this isn't a scene of passion. They've got like your director, your cameraman, your soundman. You've got like a boom mic hanging over yeah, your head yeah, yeah. And all this other stuff. Like, it must be like incredibly unsexy to be sort of doing that kind of thing. But in this one, basically, you have the head. And again, they've done it relatively well and the effects are good. But he like he proper goes for it, like he is sucking on boob and and bits. Yeah, and they're about to sort of, and they have the dummy head that's going to go between her legs and stuff. But I, I, I don't know, this felt really, although he's villainous and stuff, like this felt kind of really problematic for me watching it in twenty twenty two. Um, I don't know, what were your thoughts on, the, on this whole sort of Meg thing?
0: I I felt it was too far. I, yeah. I felt like we we didn't need to see that i mean we'd already set him up he's a lecherous old fucker he's literally the same age as her dad and you know is not shy about you know professing his love and again the dialogue he's talking about loving her and stuff like Mm. this it's like look you just want to shag her you don't you don't love her um but when the head is kind of, you know, basically sucking on her boobs kind of thing and then kissing her, you just... I mean, it's it is just horrifying, yeah. you know, to, to watch. And then the bit where... I, I mean, it is done for shock value. Isn't it, it is. It, it is. You know, it's it, it, it's, it, it does what they set out to do. But I just think it, it's too far for me. It, it, those kind of things can be done off-panel, if yeah, you like. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, we didn't... It, it doesn't make him any more villainous than we already thought he was. No, and
2: exactly. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, but he is interrupted before, literally before going down on it as a severed head, which is <laughs> freaky as anything, by Herbert West, who then starts to sort of like, you know, belittle him and distract
0: him. Uh, <laughs> I love that. Yeah. I, I had the... Um... Is it there? Oh no, it's before, isn't it? it? Again, it's just his delivery is like who's going to believe a talking head? Get a job in a sideshow. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like just, you read it, and it, it's not—it's not that funny, really. Just as the words, no, but it's, it's the way he delivers it. It's just brilliant. He's
2: so arch and so sort of like yeah, he—he he, he is fantastic. And, and so his del- delivery is what makes it like, especially when I say he's yeah. talking with Doctor Hill, um. And then, so, yeah, you do get the sense of where they confront him and he he brings all the corpses to life. And so they all attack and there's a bit of an all-out zombie attack um, at this point. And I do, I kind of like this sort of end bit where they're they're all sort of fighting and and, um, going at it. Um, But it also brings back this sort of sympathy thing because in the chaos of it all, we have the reanimated Doctor uh, Dean Halsey, and it's him that sort of intervenes um, to sort of say the day. So you know that, again, it's that thing of that touchy moment. Like, you know that he's still in there uh, and he intervenes. And if I'm right, like a, a, ga- like, you know, a gas gets released. And there's all sorts of stuff going on. Um, and everyone's sort of fighting. But, and Meg is killed. Or, yeah, and obviously that hits yeah. the band and then sort of... Um, it sort of I say, goes full circle because then Dan goes carries her out of the room because you, you're not sure what's happened to Herbert either. Like Herbert West, it sort of suggested that they're all also... sure
0: he died. <laughs> well, <laughs> there's, a, there's a sequel, so uh, no, I know, but but we'll talk about the continuity uh, when we get to Bride. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, <we will. laughs>
2: um, but yeah, it suggested that the zombies all sort of like ripped into pieces, isn't it? or the reanimated corpses, and he carries out Megan. takes her to ta- takes her to the table. Realize she's not dead. And they're all sort of going like, "She's dead. Let her go." And he has the bag. He has a bag that contains the reanimation solution. Um, but so that and that's sort of the end. Um What were your thoughts on sort of the uh, you know this climax with all the?
0: So for some reason, there's a lot that stuck with me in this first one. I, I think I've got more kind of thoughts, and and I think the first one is so much better written than, mm. than what we'll get onto. Because again, when, when they um, reanimate that guy, the, the Lou Ferrigno, massive yeah, bodybuilder, yeah. they're going through the different corpses and they talk about, well, this one's burned, this one's gunshot to the head, you know? So they, they rattle off all these, these bodies mm. that, that they can't, they don't want to reanimate. So not good candidates. And when, um Hill reanimates them they all it's pop all up the ones. because he'd been he'd been working on removing the will or controlling the will or something yeah. hadn't he so again that's, what, that's how he can control these guys don't don't know why Hill is just himself you know yeah. everyone else becomes a, a ravenous <laughs> zombie but um you know you get these guys and they pop up and they're what herbert described earlier I was like mm. that is clever you know it, and you sort of think well they, they haven't just thrown this together because it, no. it could have been anything. They've deliberately set it up there and then there's a payoff later. And when they all pop up, that, that's you're like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> How are they going to get out of this one kind of thing? And then, um, yeah, it was good. The, the way it all sort of panned out. I, I was under, well, I, I was actually confused because I was thinking, well, Hill is definitely dead. Um, yeah. Herbert's definitely dead. How are they going to make a sequel? Yeah. Um, and I was thinking, well, uh, when he goes to reanimate Meg, you know, he gets the old luminous, mm. it's the um, uh, things, isn't it? It's that yeah. luminous, liquid. Or yeah, so glow the, stick, yeah, 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 liquid, yeah, yeah, but so iconic for this franchise. And when he reanimates Meg, I'm thinking, well, how is this going to play out in the sequel? Because we're going to have a reanimated Meg, I'm going to assume mm. she's the bride. Um, you know, and and you've got the other two guys. They're going to reanimate them. What's what's going on there? So, yeah, I I was intrigued, and like I say, a, a lot of this stuck with me. Um And actually, I, I was thinking I only watched it once. No, I think I watched it the twice. I, I literally watched it yeah. and then watched it again mm. the day after because mm. I I wanted to go through and just make sure you know all the little bits that, that I hadn't picked up. Yeah, it all made more sense. So no i really enjoyed it it's really good
2: the, the first one is i think isn't a, isn't a, for me it's one of those underrated classics sort of horror classics of the 80s i think you know there's a lot of others that get sort of like you know highlighted everyone gets overlooked because of the slashes but yeah i think i think the first one particularly i would say you're right the writing and the continuity in the film and, and the performances are just spot on like they know what they're doing they know what film they're making.
1: Mm. Um,
2: and so they never really take themselves too seriously, but like when they do want to hit you with something, they do. They'll give you that, that bit of a, an emotional gut punch. And so I like the fact that they do that. Um, but you know, right, I, I love this first film. Uh, one thing that's, that's interesting, actually, is the soundtrack, the musical score.
0: The psycho. The psycho. It's basically the psycho
2: soundtrack. Yeah. yeah. I, 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 I was hoping you noticed it. Yeah. Because you're watching the opening credits, even then, you're like, huh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm assuming someone must be getting paid for this. But it's a little, and you know, it's a little odd.
0: Yeah, I think it, it was it was Alan Moore, wasn't it, who said when he was writing Watchmen that if he changed those characters that he'd originally planned to use, yeah, if he wrote them in a way that was still familiar, readers would still feel like it recognize was familiar. Them. Yeah, yeah, yeah they yeah. kind of recognize those characters, and then they'd be more emotionally invested. And, and I kind of think with the with the psycho. Uh, soundtrack that they were trying to do the same thing. They were just basically ripping it off. And I don't know. I think if you did that today, lawyers would be all over it. Yeah. I don't know if they they got away with it there. If it was just you know,
2: it's it gone under the radar. It feels like it's gone under the radar a bit. And and
0: yeah, so it's one kind of those things
2: that like
0: you had like um, uh, Snow White being played in Gremlins and stuff, didn't you? Yeah. Yeah. So I, I just don't think they were as as all over copyright, like they are today. Yeah. It's one of the,
2: I think, you know, Disney at that point was probably more like, if anyone could advertise it, I'm happy that it's just getting out there. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. It wasn't prolific for them back then, was it? No.
2: Um, but yeah, but you're right. So how, how do they follow this up? Well, you know, Bride of the Animator comes out five years later. And um, this time, you know, Stuart Gordon has sort of like a, a stepped out. It's directed by Brian Usner. You we know, have the same cast back, Jeffrey Coombs, Bruce, Abnett, uh, Bruce Abbott. Um, we now have Claude Earl James as Lieutenant Chapman, uh, Fabiana Udinu as Francesca, David Gale back as Dr. Hill, uh, Kathleen Kinmott as Gloria, and Mel Stewart as Dr. Graves. It is, it's a it's a bit of a replay of what's going on, but the film opens in a war zone, and we find that both Herbert and Dan are now me- uh, field medics in, in a conflict, unknown, not sure where. They're in conflict. Um, they reanimate a soldier. It goes all a bit pear shaped. They get sort of uh, artillery fire, and so they decide to go home uh, to Arkham and Miskatonic University, where they are welcomed back. Apparently, after everything that went on, not a problem. Carry on. Uh, now working in the sort of the hospital, but and it's, it's unsure. It's unclear how long after the events of the first film, the second film. I don't know it's supposed to be five years, because there is a detective thought, looking into it.
0: Do they say at any point? I thought it was eight months. I oh, thought it said? said right at the start. And well, I, was I was thinking, well, they were in medical school like yeah. eight months ago. So it is it was a bit strange.
2: Um but yes, they do yeah, they do go back. I don't think they re-enlist, but they seem to be working in a hospital again. And there is there's a lieutenant chapman looking into the he calls it the Miskatonic Massacre. Uh, yeah, that happened at the hospital, and again, Dan gets involved with uh, with another, with another woman, uh, Francesca, uh, and Doctor Graves, who works in the hospital. I I kind of like this guy. I think he's a great character. <laughs> Basically, collected the bits that were left, <laughs> and he's keeping them in storage, and that includes the severed head of dr hill um and so anyway herbert west is now sort of like he's expanded his his research again they are back in a sort of a, a, the adams family but it's, it's old morticians in so <laughs> a much bigger basement but now instead of looking at reanimating um a single body that has died he is looking to reanimate um parts organs Basically, we are a machine made of parts, and each one has an element of consciousness and personality. So he wants to put together a body made of parts, you know, a la Bride of Frankenstein, and reanimate it. And they do that by collecting sort of like the feet of a ballerina, um, the the hands of I think sort a lawyer, and some other bits and pieces. Like they've got all these bits and pieces. Um, but yes, they are building this body. But in the meantime. Herbert is also tinkering with body parts and makes um, a small spider like character out of fingers and an eye, um, which weirdly was copied in Red Dwarf uh, using Crichton, uh, who did He had a hand.
0: Oh, yeah. I, I was wondering where I saw that from yeah. before. Yeah.
2: Um, and then he does other ones where he puts like an arm and a leg together at one point. Um, and then he puts like a forearm on a dog later on. So he's trying all kinds of things. This is where it gets weird. So, so it, it, obviously, eventually they reanimate the, the bride and it, sort of, it all goes wrong, as can be expected. But then, so you've got Bride of Reanimator. Then. So, Dave, what are your thoughts overall before we sort of get into it of Bride of Reanimator?
0: My first thought was, even though they, they were familiar characters, familiar actors that we'd seen, there was almost no continuity from the end of the <laughs> yeah. first one. To where we picked you up in the second one, you know, Meg at the end of the last one was being reanimated. I have no idea what really happened to her after that. Uh, Herbert, um, he was dead. That that yeah. was the implied thing at the end, even though we didn't see it on camera. So it's the old thing, you know, if you didn't see it, you know, did didn't it really happen. happen? Yeah, so but it just seemed bizarre. And the thing that made me laugh right at the start, I, I. I suddenly thought, well, was the first one based in the fifties or something? You know, because they're they're now in Vietnam was mm. was my initial thought, but no, it's just some unnamed conflict, isn't it? And it, it made me laugh because they're in this tent, you know, where it, not particularly concealed or anything, and they <laughs> just decide to reanimate this guy. And who turns into you know some ravenous zombie and is trying to kill, <laughs> kill Herbert and he ends up having to shoot him and I'm thinking how many times have you tried this and every time someone tries to kill you and they're like right next time the the body wasn't too fr- wasn't Was fresh, fresh enough, enough or something yeah. like that you know so um it, it did make me laugh again like the first one it just throws you straight in there doesn't it and um you know. It, 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 in terms of the gore, it definitely picks up where it started from. Mm. Now, I don't know if if you know any... I, I, I couldn't find anything given a reason for the five-year gap, you know, between the the first one coming out in 85 and this one coming out in 90, but I, I get the impression that it probably was just a bit of a VHS hit more yeah. so than, uh, than yeah. in the cinema. Um, and, and again, that's why I think I made the comment before about they've just took the five things. You know what? What are the things that you love and people tell us that you love about the first one? Right. Let's just put loads of that into this one. Yes. And I think it it just ramps everything else up uh, a notch further. So whereas you know in the in the first one we reanimate a head. Okay, we we can kind of get that because that's where your brain is. But then when he starts, he just basically. Gets the hand and sticks the eye on it, like you say, <laughs> and then just puts a bit of glue over it. There's, there's lots of hand wavy science, isn't there? And it becomes this own, its own sentient little thing. You're like, oh, right, okay, this this is definitely gone off. We're going off into a different direction. Here. Yeah, we go.
2: Like you say, it's, it's all, it's all, it's more gore and humor, isn't it? Like, you know, even yeah. like Coombs's uh, performance, like there's moments when he's sort of like, because he's, he's reanimating a hand, isn't he? He's testing this hand. And then he has a leg. Oh, he's re- reanimating a leg, isn't he? And then he sort of sees he's got his massive, like, meaty forearm. And he's just like, huh. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> yeah. And he gets a rod and sort of shoves him in. And it's, there's nothing there other than to to, uh, to have the moment where it's then together and the hand slaps him and the foot kicks him. And then he basically has to get rid of it. So it's there it's literally to set up a gag and that's it. Uh, and they do that several times in in the story. But, yeah, it is. It is, it is that sort of um humor um rather than the empathetic empathetic emotional hits. They, they sort of try for it later, but it, it never worked. However, they also, are you say, are upping the gore and um sort of sort of like I wouldn't say horror because it is, it's more the gore. But we talked about the effects in the last one and how it's sort of like you know it makes you nostalgic for that sort of like pre-CGI sort of thing. Um and there's some, there's some in this as well. I, I want to get to a, some particular ones in a bit, but like, what are your thoughts on sort of like the gore and the effects of this? Do you think this one stands up just as
0: well? I think we see a bit of a, a transition here. I, I, I actually didn't look at what the budget was uh, before, but let me get it here. Oh, 2.5 million. First one was 2 million, I think. So equivalent budget but I think they've gone much more down the kind of animation and Mm. there's a bit of stop motion animation as well isn't there and I think it just doesn't really hold up as well I think Mm. the this looks much more like a tv movie for me than the first one I I agree with what you said before I think the first one is a classic even though I've not watched it for years it just feels like a classic. I think that one of the things that hasn't helped it is probably just people dressing up. You know, if you, you can dress up as Freddy Krueger, you can dress up as Jason, yes, Leatherface, and whatever. But you know, do you want to dress up as the Doctor? I, I guess you could have a little syringe. luminous green syringe yeah. <laughs> that, would, that would that would do it. Um, but but the second one just has that feeling of a, a of a TV movie, and I just think the animation-type uh, gore as well just doesn't really help it. At this time, though, in 1990, mm. I don't know how they get around that because what they did in the first one, like you say, with reanimating bodies, in mm. fact, um, <laughs> the first one and the second one, when they do reanimate whole bodies, and you can see that people have got, like, made, uh, they're made up to have decaying skin, people are like oh maybe they've just got mental illness kind of thing it's like yeah. are you not seeing what i'm yeah. seeing you know they do it all the time don't they it's like you guys are crazy but yeah I, I i don't know at this time how they could do the different body parts and how it all works in, in fact the only one where they have the different body parts where, where you get the dog and you get the bloke's yeah. hand just <laughs> yeah. out. again brilliant I love that it's, it's um,
2: proper that meaty forearm attached yeah. to a
0: dog it <laughs> is. probably about the the equal weight of the dog um, yeah that was brilliant so yeah I, I think I think it's just unfortunate for the time I, I don't see how they could achieve what they could with the different body parts monster type things with yeah. the with the tools that they had at the time
2: no i get what you mean and i think i think you're right i think it feels like I and mean, this isn't a cash grab because there's no cash to grab but I, the first one made money but like you said i think more of it was, it was a cult film and sort of a vhs hit i have a, i have a weird feeling this may have been straight to video or straight to you know
0: i don't see a box office number for it so i think no. you're right
2: um, and it, it, you're right, it has that feel to it, doesn't it? Where they're like, you know, right, we're not going to give it the full money, but we can still do something with it. Uh, but the other thing as well is like, they've clearly chosen certain effects. They're like, right, this is our money shot. This is the one we're going to go for
1: mm. later in the
2: film. Um, but you're right. It also then means that there are other shots and there are other, other effects that don't come across well. Um, Dr. Hill Returns. Um, as a severed head later on. Like he is reanimated, and he is rested in a, a tub of blood to, um, to sort of restore him, I think,
0: which is what sort of suggested. I think, wasn't um, the tub of blood the first one, where where you have the body? Actually, I, I didn't comment on that. I, I thought the bit where he puts the head down, and then it's just the body, the headless body. Mm. And he's kind of bumping into things. I thought that was brilliant because, they, again, Dr. Hill's just facial expressions, you know, you get the kind yeah. of eye roll. I thought that was brilliantly comedic. But um, no, I don't remember him going in a, a kind of bloodbath in this one. I, I remember that one from the first one.
2: Okay, I'm sure it's because Dr. Graves gets a, 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 a syringe of the the what's it solution oh, maybe and he brings him back and he says more and he, he gives him more of the solution and then yeah, he says blood, and yeah, he yeah squeezes yeah. like random blood like not worried about what blood type you are no, just blood no, just, <laughs> there
0: you go yep. has a little um, orgasm doesn't he or... yeah as he sort of <laughs> absorbs it um and uh, takes a deep breath as well with through his lungs that he doesn't have
2: yeah that, that was the thing that keeps it how's he talking because half his yeah. throat's gone like, it doesn't make any sense um, but one of the things this is and you say about how sort of like you know ridiculous this film goes it does it has this notion of um, body parts can be reanimated on their own as we said like fingers and eyes and forearms and, and you know bottom half of the legs that sort of thing but the other part that's that's um, is also the fact that you can connect them, so you can have these sort of, like you say, sentient things with fingers and an eye, and they sort of take that to the next level later on because you are then introduced. This is sort of more towards the end, but I'm going to jump the gun a bit because it's all part of it. You are introduced to Doctor Hill later on in the film, and again, you said about the things they've introduced. They've reanimated a the bat previously. Uh, and now they've taken those bats wings and they've attached them to, to Dr. Hill's head. <laughs> and so he's able to fly like, fly around like something out of doom.
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's so brilliant.
2: <laughs> yeah. But it is, it's ridiculous. But again, they're, they're obviously using rear projection kind. not you know, like he's, he must be like below his neck. He's like in a green bodysuit or something like that. And so I can imagine the actor sort of, uh, what's his name? Um, David Gale to sort of go like bobbing around.
1: Yeah. He must
0: have was like an absolute tit. I thought that, I mean, that's the very first opening shot in the movie, isn't it? And I thought he was probably still like with his Holly, you know, just a, a black mm-hmm. jumper on. And I thought it was actually the camera that was probably moving around.
2: Ah, that's a very good point. Yeah, quite possible. Because they do have that. Yeah, that's a good idea way of doing it. But there, there are those little tricks I do kind of enjoy. Yeah. Even if they definitely. are a little bit like, all right, it's a bit cheesy and it looks silly, but I'm kind of enjoying
1: this.
0: I, I, I do appreciate, uh, I, again, I, uh, cards on the table. I don't think this is as good as the first one. No. But it's got some really cool moments in it. And the fact yeah. they've set you up with gluing different body parts together, by the time by the time he puts Hill onto the, you know, he'd reanimated the bat, hadn't he? Mm-hmm. Chopped off its wings so it couldn't fly away and attack him and whatever. And when he pops Hill's head and the bat wings are there, you're like, oh, I see what's happening here. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. 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 And that's it. It's sort of, there's indicators in this that they're not messing around, you know, they'll, no. they'll, they're sort of like, okay, this is, they're going for it now with this one. Um, so I do, I do appreciate that that what they're doing with that. Um, but again, like, you know, the other thing is we, we we talk about Dan. Dan comes back and he meets uh, Francesca, who is just so she's just a she's just a. What's the point you say about this is lesser. Like where in the first film, like Meg had, you know, not masses of agency. She was still there to be, you know. Uh, a girlfriend in a sort of a dance in distress, but, like, she had a purpose. Like, she was connected to the story Mm. through both Dan and Dean Halsey. Like, with Francesca, like, she literally just sort of, like, walks in and she's just like, I'm pretty and supposed to be
0: here.
2: (laughs) Yeah. And she never really seems to fit the story, like, for the rest of the film. It's it's seriously, like, you're just like, okay, well, you're here to be the screamer in this sort of scenario like you've got no other real purpose um which I just sort of find she, she, yeah she's she's a much lesser than than Barbara Crampton i thought your
0: thoughts oh, 100% 100% are. Yeah. and i i i think i messaged you didn't i because i was watching it and i was like i know her from somewhere <laughs> and then i was like it's a lot of for China from Austin powers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I was sort of taken out of it a little bit then, but um, I agree. I mean, she's the, I, I don't think the writing is great in this. They, they've definitely mm-hmm. focused on just, you know, how weird can we get, but the actual story is it's paper thin really. Yeah. And she's just there to provide some kind of conflict for Dan, but I'm, at a loss to where Dan's heart really is. <laughs> you know, is it literally, with Meg? Yeah. Or he literally, you know, he he's, he wants to reanimate Meg's heart in this, you know, former patient's body or head at least, and then mm. bits of other people. And then he's literally come from um, the other girl's bed downstairs, and and then it's like, oh, come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, wait, that, that, know, that, wait, that whole bit, up.
2: like when when Herbert introduces Meg's heart. Yeah. And I am like you said, there's no continuity because then I'm like, hang on, how the hell did you get hold of that? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm assuming then that, that Dan didn't reanimate her, you know, at that part at the end of the credits in the last film. Fine, mm. but she still would have been buried or whatever. So how have you and how is it fresh? Like, how have you still got this heart? Yeah. Like, what, and why? And and Dan seems to get attached to this idea of the heart having some sort of sentience because obviously that's what we've sort of seen. But if it is, and this is the well, again, like this is, you know, giving logic to where there is no logic really. But <laughs> if the heart is what they're going to inject first and stuff, but they've still got every other body part, and they've already said, like, oh, there's a trace of personality and sentience in every body part. Like, okay, well, they're all separate then. So
0: it's not the same person, is it? It's not the
2: same person. <laughs> like they're all, it's a combination. Um, so yeah, I agree. Like Dan's sort of like fawning over this thing with the heart it makes no sense. And it, it's actually a little irritating towards the end of the film.
0: Um, I, I, I tell you what is what is strange is that the the 180 that he does later, I know kind of probably skipped a whole bunch and, and just getting towards the end. But I think Herbert initially he's talking like when the bride is fighting, you know, his, his girlfriend, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Fabiana, And Herbert's like, oh, look, she's got no chance. You know, our our, uh, being is superior or something like that. And then he says something about her just being pieces of dead flesh or something like that. It's like, that's a weird 180. Also, Dan, he's like, he's been obsessed with reanimating, you know, Megan's heart plus other bits. And then when she's actually alive, you know, he does a complete 180 and mm. he doesn't want to know her. And I, I thought that was that was pretty heartbreaking, actually. And that that made me feel for the for the bride of Frankenstein sort of character there. So I, I thought it was pretty horrible and, and despicable of Dan the way he behaved there.
2: Well, this is the thing, isn't it? Like in, in the first one, you have that sort of like Dan is is a bit of a pillar, he makes bad choices, he sort of follows the wrong people. In this one, like that continuation of it, that continuing to follow Herbert West is just ridiculous. But he, he, but the fact is that he continues to make ridiculous choices, like to the, towards the end. And you're right. So when she, yeah, she is reanimated and sort of like, she tries to give herself to, to him. And it's sort of like, I don't know, he meant to be in some sort of trance or has he gone through some, some sort of like trauma? Cause then he realizes what she is. And she's like, you know, is it just want my heart? And she tears her own heart out. And again, that's where, like, that's clearly one of the money shots
0: mm. uh,
2: in this when the body, the 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 you know the the body starts to sort of like come apart and stuff. And I'm like, that's a great shot.
0: Oh yeah, yeah. The, the whole the whole body, the way it was done, and and the way again because they've got that kind of. It's almost like a surrogate wedding dress, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It's like some kind of surgical see through material, but. I thought the the way they kind of concealed, but you can see those bits of exposed flesh under yeah. the skin and stuff. I, I thought it was really well done.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah, I think that you can see where the money went. Um yeah. for that for that sort of final effect. But the, the other thing I say is, uh, I like is the performance of the woman doing it because yeah. it's a small part. Like you know, she has some some bits to do, but when she is reanimated and stuff, like she's clearly. Um, she's clearly mimicking Bride of Frankenstein. Um, you know, there's that sort of like bird-like movements and that sort of like look of mm. shock and stuff. Like she's she's going for a similar feel, and it works. Like it works really well. I think I, I kind of like it. Um, I don't know. What are your any final thoughts on that sort of the bride?
0: I, I just think I, I I don't think it was a cash grab, as as you say, but. I think they had a, a thin idea and it was basically yeah. to remake Bride of Frankenstein. Yeah. That, in the reanimator universe, okay. if you like. I, I think that was it. And then they just came up with this kind of whatever it takes story to make this all happen. Mm. Um, again, some great moments in it. I just think as a story, it's just a bit flaky.
2: It, yeah. I think one of the problems is, is again what do you do to follow up the ending of the last one? Like, how do you make it work? Like, they acknowledge, and like you say, the, the police story in this is, <laughs> like, is a detective. There's no detecting. Like, he knows they're involved, and he just basically wants to bully them uh, and intimidate them into sort of giving something up. Um, and I just find that 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 kind of, like, makes me chuckle at times when he does sort of turn up when he's constantly... Sort of bullying them into doing things. Mm,
0: um, but I think he, again, getting back to Herbert West, though, and and Coombs' performance, it's one of my favourite lines. Is he's he's, he's almost Jim Carrey like. Yeah. I think he's he's light Jim Carrey, and he's like he's a wife beater. Dan, use the gun.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I like, well, this is the thing I think because again, this um, there's there's a there's a moment in the original story which is obviously played out here in this in the second film is uh, Herbert West is so desperate to um, have a fresh body, and the sort of mm. the narrator sort of comes back after uh, being away for a couple of days, and he finds that there's this fresh body that you know was a traveller who had a sick heart and sort of just mm. happened to die. On uh when they came to see he's looking for directions or something, and an exhaustion made him die, but he's kept the body. But then when he um when he um reanimates him, he comes back and says, Um, stay away from me, you whelp with that needle, and sort of like so you know that um Herbert uh, West killed him mm. to get the body. And I kind of like that they do that in this one as well, where sort of like he kills um the, he ends up killing the detective yeah and then again but then again he can't help himself where he's like well we can have him back on the
0: beat straight like, away there's like you know 30 seconds have passed well you know we can reanimate him yeah <laughs> like he, he was just here trying to kill you but you're like oh well, we can have him back on the beat
2: <laughs> you know <laughs> no problem and I do like the fact that because like, obviously he's tried to cover it up and then when he does the, his first reaction is 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 that and his hands go up and stuff and it so you know that Herbert West has crossed a line. But again, none of that sort of, like, that doesn't, it doesn't seem to bother Dan in the slightest at this point. He's sort of like, well, I'm all in, you know, I might as well um, carry on sort of thing. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think you're right. I think the key thing is like, there's, there's good moments in this second one. Again, like, I think there's, you know, some great moments of comedy. I think, like you said, the dog with the big meaty forearm and <laughs> some of the bits like that are quite well done but the, the story is a bit, is, is definitely thinner. Um I kind of like the idea that they have this wall that backs onto a, um, a tomb in the graveyard mm. that, that in, in, the, the, they're in this mortician's house or in this grave house. And so they can actually sort of like, whenever he sort of like gets rid of one of his sort of like experiment play things, he just yeah. knocks down part of the wall Takes the bricks out of the wall, pops it in this tomb, and then bricks it back up again. <laughs> um, and so when it all goes, because obviously Doctor Hill attacks at the end with a flying head and and the you know all these other sort of um, these other zombies. One of them mm. I, th- I think is one of them supposed to be the battered wife of Detective.
0: Yes, so she was in the asylum, wasn't she? A, a little bit earlier, so yeah. th- and I think that was what put the detective onto mm. what, what they were doing.
2: Um, so yeah, he, he's she been chased for that because, and then, like you say, the wall comes down, and all these reanimated, you know, body parts uh, start to come through and attack Herbert West.
0: I feel like the animation on that was not great, Mm. like the execution, if you like. But the idea of it was fantastic. I I thought it was great, and you just see all these kind of cast-off creations just coming through the hole in the wall. You're like, oh crap! (laughs) (laughs)
2: Yeah, yeah, because there's some really weird ones. I think, and they've done some. Like you say, some look better than others. Mm. Um, and I, you know, without sounding uh morbid or grotesque like i think they obviously used they i've never researched that and i don't know but i'm sure these like real amputees at one point for some one of them looks like it's you know it's got um limbs missing they've replaced them with something else and mm. but there's one as well some great makeup where one of them i think it's uh dan is fighting one and it stood up and he pushes it away and it turns around and it's basically like two heads sort of like stuck yeah. together <laughs>
0: Uh, See, I, I, want, I want to be a fly on the wall in a planning meeting like that, you know, and they're yeah. just sketching out on the on the whiteboard or on the wall or something and just, you know, we could have this, you know, arm and a leg and stuff like that, you know, because just the the minds of these people to come up with all of these different creations, I, mm. I think is impressive.
2: It is. It is it's, it's, yeah, there's some great creations in this. And I think, unfortunately, we're limited by budget. I think that's the... The key Mm. thing they are limited slightly by budget. And if they had, say, I don't know, just that extra bit of cash, I think some of this would look way better. But as Mm. a a sort of if this was a straight to video, I sort of understand why. But yeah, we end with again, Herbert West being sort of like overtaken by these many, these these creations, as you put it, uh, due to tearing apart, and Dan escapes with um, Francesca uh into the the night um really sort of like that and that's sort of it as sort of like credits roll
0: and i think the way the bride you know what when, when she's pulled out the heart and everything mm. and she's holding it but then the whole body starts to disintegrate almost I, I thought that was really done quite well as well but but again that's the practical effects isn't it yeah
2: yeah the practical effects is, i think are great i think you know there's some of the, the, the severed head when it's sort of like, even because even at one point they have them carrying it and you can see the jaw moving and stuff. So
1: they've, mm.
2: they've done some fantastic work, but that's sort of like what Brian Usner, you know, I think he was a special effects guy before he was, you know, all this other stuff. So it's his bread and butter, but I love the fact that they have done it and lent into and done these, these effects and stuff. So I think it looks really cool. So, yeah, no, I, I enjoy this second one. Um, uh, I think there's some really standout moments, but like you say, overall, it's definitely lesser than um, than the first one. Um, but yeah, so any final thoughts then for um, Bride of the Animator?
0: Yeah, and because I say it's lesser than the first one, I, I still think there's a lot of fun to be had watching mm. this one. Like I say, for those moments, I think the... What I say about the writing, I, I'm really talking about those plot points, the story. <laughs> One of the great lines, though, which, again, just speaks to Herbert West's character, is when he's talking about blasphemies, he's, he's accused by uh, Fabiana of, of blasphemy for creating all of these things. And he, he says, like, uh, I've got the quote here, I will not be shackled by the failures of your God. The only blasphemy <laughs> is to wallow in insignificance. <laughs> brilliant (laughs) absolutely brilliant you know proper you know villainous monologue um i just think it's brilliant utterly consistent with the character Uh, and again he he is talk about lack of continuity in the story but his performance is consistent you know he's he he remains in the second one that batman villain yeah but just you know he's he's realized with this having this consciousness in the different parts of the body that he can he can really go off the map yeah
2: i think again like jeffrey Coombe, it's a jeffrey Coombe show like he he is a fantastic performer and I, i love what he brings to this um Really, I think, you know, just sort of we, we are going to be going on to um, Beyond Reanimator, which was much later. Think it was 2003, so it's 13 years later. Uh, and From Beyond, which actually is back in the 80s, both featured Jeffrey Coombs. But I wanted to say, actually, before, one of my first, uh, I think, like, what is, you know, you sort of like you connect, you don't really, you do or you don't connect actors. And there's certain moments you go, oh, my God, that's so-and-so. Um, another performance by Jeffrey Cooper I just want to call out for a film that I think it also doesn't get enough attention, is *The Frighteners*, um, which I think it's '95. Uh, Michael J. Fox. Um,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, Iconic poster as well, was it? Yes,
2: yeah, yeah. Uh, Gary Busey's son, um, Jake Busey, and obviously directed by Peter Jackson. And he plays like a he plays like an FBI agent. He, plays, he basically is a sort of a, a, a surrogate for. Fox Mulder, kind of thing in it, right? Um, and he is again a f- that like that performance that he gives in that film is, is absolutely phenomenal. So I do want to sort of call that out as a um, if everyone's sort of watching these. As a bit of a side note, go check out the Frighteners as well because it's Ace, um, and he is great in that. Anyway, I think we are wrapping up on these two before we move on. Uh, so before we wrap up, Dave. Where can people find you and where can people hear you?
0: So uh, first of all, thanks a lot, Scott. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I wouldn't have gone back and, and watched these, to be honest, if you hadn't have suggested, you know, you're doing this retrospective. So it's been brilliant fun to watch them and, and then come and sort of chew the fat with them as about them as well. Um, you can get me on either Comics in Motion uh, in a bunch of the shows there, mostly the TV and movie reviews closest one to what we're doing today is probably the vhs strikes back um and we'll that's a weekly show and we'll talk about you know some kind of uh, film from that vhs uh, era of which this one is in but i it'd be it'd take me a while to convince chris my, my <laughs> co-host to, to do any horror movies so, so that's why i'm probably better covering that one on here
2: <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah go check this out there'll be links down below for, um, well, the whole Comics in Motion sort of uh, network, the thread. Every day there's something new. It's all fantastic. Uh, but ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much uh, for listening. I really appreciate you listening. And if you like what we're doing and you're enjoying the, this uh, retrospective or anything else that we do, go to your podcast catcher and give us a review, uh, any four stars, four stars, five stars preferably. But all your feedback helps and we really appreciate it all. So, you know, I hope you can do that. Uh, But if you really like what we're doing And uh, you want to sort of contribute and support the show Go check out our Patreon It's uh, www.patreon.com Slash 20cgmedia That's 20th Century Geek Media And and there's a link down below And uh, you will find all kinds of podcasts on there Uh, And extra bonus content of us chatting about All kinds of different pieces Anyway, for now Dave, thank you very much For uh, watching these films with me And uh, I look forward to doing part two Uh, And for ladies and gentlemen, thank you very much, and we should talk again
1: soon.